0: Well, the man said, We're gonna start it off. We're gonna start it off. We're gonna start it off. And then he said, We're gonna start it off. We're gonna start it off. We're gonna start it off. for checking out this little podcast this little show uh, reading the blog, following along on Twitter and all of the different ways that you can get in contact with us and follow along Speaking of the blog I just want to draw your attention to it uh, be, be sure to check it out every now and then because we put up some uh, some conversation to keep a keep the conversation going relevant topics about this whole idea of becoming who we are what helps shapes us and uh, develops us over time recently we put up one there about uh, the dead mentors people who whose lives have helped shaped ours even though maybe we've never well in fact we've never met because they've they've been long dead uh, people have written classic works uh, books uh, that uh, maybe poetry or, or created some art that has helped shape us in our life. and so I'd like to ask you if, if is there anyone at all in your life that you kind of look up to uh, who you respect and look up to whose work has helped shape you even though uh, they're long dead, maybe centuries ago, long dead or even fairly recently. I'd love to hear about some of those uh, people in your life and you could share that on the blog there or, of course, you can contact us uh, through email at wearebecoming@gmail.com, at or you can follow along at, on Twitter at wearebecoming. You can also find us on Skype, call and leave a message, Cody.Stoffer. Love to hear from you and uh, love to hear your thoughts on people who've helped shape you with their work of art or their books, their poetry, their songs, whatever it might be. Uh, who might be your dead mentor. This week on the show, we've got uh, my new friend, Kurt Willems. Kurt Willems is in, uh, he's a Mennonite Brethren church planter and pastor. He's currently working on a Master's of Divinity degree at uh, Fresno Pacific University. He's going to be planting a church in the Northwest here pretty soon, actually next year. He uh, He blogs over at the Pangea blog. Um, and he brings up some awesome conversation there. he talks about some incredible stuff. Uh, he does a series about nonviolence and peace and reconciliation, and what it means to, the that he talks about this kingdom without borders. And so that’s kind of what we talk about a little bit in our interview. We get to know Kurt a little bit. We hear about his upcoming plans how his anabaptist faith has helped shape him uh, and what he's learned through the process of embracing his deeper roots in the anabaptist tradition and so i hope you enjoy this little interview this chat that uh, kurt and i were able to have and i just want to encourage you again to uh, step into the conversation a little bit and uh, uh interact a little bit with the guests that we have you can find them of course uh, i always leave some contact information for them or some ways you can carry on the conversations that they're having as well uh, but of course again you can carry on the conversation here on the blog and on the uh, in the email and twitter and pretty soon on our facebook page that's going to be up here pretty soon uh, speaking of the the podcast and things coming up pretty soon you can go ahead and take a look on the blog there at some of our upcoming guests. I'm pretty excited about who we've got coming. We've got, in two weeks from today, Gene Anderson will be our guest. did an interview with him. And then two weeks after that, L.L. Barcat, a poet and author, a popular speaker, and managing editor at The Higher Calling. Uh, Gene, we're in two weeks with Gene, we're going to be talking about uh, Gene has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and he shares a little bit with us the journey that he's had since learning that diagnosis and the life uh, uh, how the twists and turns the life has taken since he's found out that diagnosis and how he's uh, found some healing in that as well. So look forward to hearing that one. I'm pretty excited also about some guests we've got coming up that I'm not going to tell you just yet. You're going to have to you stick around and, and uh, hear about that in uh, the next couple of weeks, but I've got some awesome guests in the works and the potential to have a live conference uh, call with some of you if you want to get in on it so you can ask our guests some of the questions that you might have because they're going to be some awesome guests. So look forward to that. But uh, Please enjoy this interview that I have with Kurt Willems, and please, if you have any questions for any of the guests that we've had, please email them in, and I'll try to connect you with them as well. Thank you so much. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Cody. How you doing, man? good how are you i'm good i'm real good excellent so you're yeah. in california huh
1: yes sir i am i'm in uh an area of california called the central valley which is basically suburbia meets farmland so nice. yeah yeah i grew up here um i live just outside of fresno um spent about oh man eight years out there and uh yeah. So, um, now, uh, kind of doing the seminary thing and getting ready for some other stuff. So
0: excellent. So you're uh, working on a MDiv right now. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, How's that going? The, Oh, it's good, bro. You know, um, it's, it's on the, what do you call it? I, I was on the very long term plan. I was a, a youth pastor and, um, wanted to keep studying and wanted to keep really just um, pursuing education and whatnot. And so back in 07 started going part-time and um, basically over the past summer uh, kind of felt God calling me towards church planting and decided it was time to, you know, put pause on ministry stuff for the most part and uh, go full-time to school. So I'm finishing up a, uh, hopefully be done in about a year. So
0: Very cool. Yeah, I'm on the downward slope of my MDiv as well, so... Yeah. <laughs> cool. I'm with you, man. Solidarity. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Definitely. So you're going to plan a church? Um, where Do you already have a... I mean, where? how's that in the works? Where are you at in that yeah. process?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm part of a, a denomination, um, the Mennonite Brethren, um, and uh, I basically um am kind of working with our pacific district and so that basically means um obviously all the pacific states plus like nevada and some of those um and um in the process um right now we're really strongly considering seattle washington and um doors keep kind of opening that direction and uh so we're just kind of praying and discerning and uh hopefully by this summer I'll put in a proposal to the denomination and we'll kind of move from there. So very cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What did you have to go through all the, the uh, personality testing and all that or.
1: Yeah. You know, um, I did, (laughs) I, I don't know how familiar you are with this whole, uh, different churches and denominations and whatnot. They have, um, assessment, um, kind of for church planters and, um, we actually participated in one, um, in Portland called the Northwest church planters, something or other. Uh, and that was actually about two years ago. Um, my wife and I kind of changed churches and, um, the short version of a very long and exhaustive story is simply, um, I was hired to be what they were calling the multi-site development pastor. And, uh, of a church that's kind of growing and doing well and um, was looking to rather than build a new structure kind of invest their money into people and to um, kind of expanding their um, kingdom influence that way and um, you know basically I spent about a year doing training and um, some conferences and really getting together a plan and a team and all that stuff and um short side of the story is August hit this last summer and we looked at each other and we said, something's different. Um we need to pray about this. And really felt because of some circumstances at the church and uh some just kind of timing issues and just really the the Holy Spirit kind of tugging at us that maybe our plan was um, a little too quick. Um and in the process of that, I um, really just kind of discerned my call um, to church planting, but realized that it wasn't necessarily as part of the multi-site stuff that my current congregation is wanting to do, and really felt called to uh, kind of a more post-Christendom, um, you know, very progressive type environment. And so that's how... Seattle and you know other Pacific cities obviously came on the radar and we've kind of settled with Seattle and so I'm still part-time at that church um, kind of just a church planter and residence um, and um, very minimal hours there and back in school and uh, looking for 2012 to hit pretty quick so that uh, my wife and I can uh, hopefully relocate with a team of folks so
0: awesome well and I uh, will I know I'll be praying for your venture there so that's cool
1: Thanks, man. appreciate that. Definitely.
0: Definitely. So let's, uh, before we go much further on anything else, let's get it out of the way. Rob Rob Bell, Rob Bell, man.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah, (laughs) dude. What a, what a week, man. Um, I, my goodness, I, you know, for, well, let me just say this. First of all, I've been sick all week. So, um, if I say anything that sounds grumpy, hopefully it's just because of that. But I'll tell you what I—I I was just so disappointed with Justin Taylor's post, and—and um, and here's why. You know, I, I realize there's various views on, um, you know, salvation, and you know, from universalism all the way to, um, you know, the five-point Calvinist kind of perspective that I, I'm pretty sure Justin comes from. Um and you know I as kind of an Anabaptist evangelical, um very much a lowercase evangelical, um, but evangelical nonetheless, you know, committed to the reality that Jesus wants to know people personally and um you know in the context of covenant community, of course, um, but really believe in in that and the Holy Spirit is. This presence of God that walks with people and interacts on a deep level. Um, so that's kind of what I mean when I say evangelical. Um, and you know, it's it's just really funny to me that this this reformed movement in the last five, ten years, whatever it's been, that they've kind of um, almost counterreacted to the emerging church movement in some senses. Um, has really taken a monopoly on what it means to be evangelical and orthodox. And um, and I feel as though if something doesn't fit their grid, they don't have theological categories for understanding that the conversation in evangelicalism is much broader. Um, and so that's kind of why I, I jumped in right away and tried to offer an alternative possibility of what Rob might kind of um do based on his quotes and based on some of his mentors and whatnot so yeah it's a uh, chaos <laughs> well
0: and i you know i've kind of read a few of the responses, and i think scott mcknight had a great point you know these are these questions are what people are going to be talking about these are what people are asking right now and so mm-hmm. yeah in order to you know it's almost like they were preempting any kind of conversation that might flow out of this or take place out of that it's like let's run and hide before the conversation gets going but this is a real opportunity to engage this conversation and answer and ask these questions i think you know
1: yeah yeah absolutely i you know i i think um i think it's been kind of lurking under the surface for a while for a lot of us you know um brian mclaren did us a huge favor with his third book in his trilogy um you know asking some very serious questions you know, about hell and the nature of things. And, you know, it's, it's pretty funny. Um, You know, people criticize him, but uh, in the, in those books, but, you know, when you have fictional characters saying things, you can always go back and say, well, that wasn't me. That's my fictional character. (laughs) Um, I think his new book is maybe kind of, he's come out um, a little, you know, his, his progressiveness has come out more so than maybe in his other writings, but that aside, um, he did us a great favor with that book, and um, caused us to start to ask those questions. Um, N.T. Wright kind of did the same thing with uh, "Surprised by Hope," and um, you, you know. And so, I think the conversation for a lot of us that aren't reformed has really been there already, and now the reformed guys are kind of almost catching up. Um, but the way they catch up is by branding everything that's not their way, you know, basically as unbiblical heresy, farewell, Rob Bell, because you're not part of us. You know, and, and that's um, so this is a conversation, like Scott said, that I think needs to happen. Um, and he rightfully kind of cast some categories for discussion, which was kind of the, the impetus behind my post was saying there's other ways of looking at this let's let's lay it out on the table so
0: right absolutely yeah I noticed you uh, tweeted earlier today um, you hope you didn't say anything that might uh, come out wrong or sound wrong do you do you have a tendency to do that <laughs> ah, no no I,
1: I think I' was being a bit facetious oh, okay. I mean maybe maybe with my wife um, <laughs> um, I, you know I you know um, if anything comes out wrong I mean There's always time to clarify. And, you know, the the reality of a connected world is that sound bites can lead to, um, you know, um, interpretation and um, extrapolation, I guess. You know, you can take those things and make them whatever you want them to be. But,
0: um, no, I'm not too worried about it. Okay. Uh, So, uh, talk to me a little bit about your your blog, the Pangea blog. So, what was the idea behind behind it, Reflections on a Kingdom that Transcends Borders. Share with us a little bit about uh, your hopes with the blog, why you started it, and what's yeah
1: Well, you know, it's kind of funny. I am um, back in, I'm trying to think, I think it was 2007. So the year I started seminary, um, the first semester's over. It's December. I've written my first, um, you know, academic paper at that level. <laughs> and I um, I have a buddy of mine who's been a true conversation partner since um, basically early in college. We both did an internship together at the same church. Um, and um, when I got into college, I was, you know, straight up right wing, pretty conservative, evangelical guy, um, whether that meant politics, whether that meant Theology, now I was never, I don't know that I can call myself a fundamentalist, um, although I had some of those traits, um, but certainly a very conservative, um, Americanized evangelical. And um, you know, and, and in that reality, this conversation partner, this good friend of mine, um, we, we started talking and all of a sudden this guy who grew up in Portugal was a missionary kid is challenging some of my American assumptions and, um, you know, and we've gone on to really be, he's one of my best friends now. Um, and all that to kind of give you a backdrop for, I entered seminary, um, in 07, kind of having left some of that baggage behind kind of the stuff I had been taught, but still kind of in the early stages of doing some deconstruction and, and trying to reconstruct something that made sense. Um, I'm still definitely in that process. Um, but it was definitely fresh when I first started the blog. And so this buddy of mine says, hey, Kurt, everyone who's anybody is blogging. My dad just started one. You should start one. And I was like, what the hell is a blog? <laughs> Maybe hell is a word I shouldn't say in the context of the further, the deeper conversations going on. But um, and, and he goes on to tell me. And so I start. I started a blog um, on, on, um, what's that real easy one, on Blogger, back in 07. And I post, I think, one thing. I just copy and paste a little Kingdom of God paper I wrote. And my blog just sits. Um, It just sits there until, well, it looks like April of 2008. So from December to April, I didn't touch it. And it was just this interesting little thing. And then in April, it looks like I... You know, copied and pasted a small little thing I did on fundamentalism, <laughs> you know. Uh, and and I just started just experimenting, to be honest with you. I had zero readership. Um, I had no idea if this would be anything significant. Um, and, and I just started kind of throwing thoughts out there. Um, about the same time, I started wrestling with... Um, You know, questions about creation and evolution that I'd never even knew were options to wrestle with. And so those are some of my early posts are like, you know, I have one called back in May of 08, My Evolution Towards Theistic Evolution, right? And I, I, the only people that read that were people that knew me. And so I got called an atheist. It was pretty funny. Um, So, uh, you you know, it just kind of started. and honestly, I just kind of kept writing and taking things I was learning in seminary and throwing them down on, on, on that first blog. Um, and people started finding me through Google search engines and likewise, and I just started kind of interacting with a few people. And it's funny, I can go back to those early days, and I have three specific uh, co- you know, web conversation partners that um, are still like now friends of mine who I have huge respect for. Um, I love their blobs and um, it's been amazing to see kind of all of us in our own way um, develop our own little, I don't know, platform or whatever it is. Um, And uh, yeah, those guys are still valuable conversation partners to this day. So Um, so that's kind of how it started. Um, A big transition happened, I would say, about, well, a year ago, last February, um, I, I kind of had taken a hiatus from blogging. It just wasn't important to me anymore. It wasn't like it was a big part of my life. It was just a side project. Um, and I had this idea that, hey, what if I just switch to WordPress and um, really give it another shot and uh, kind of see what happens? And um, at the same time, my Facebook account started, I started connecting with new people on Facebook um, through mutual friends and um, then I got this idea that what if I started inviting people who are on Facebook who have similar fan pages as me and just said hey would you like to talk about theology and stuff, I'm into blogging, maybe you might be into that too and I just started inviting random people that were, you know, fans of pages that I liked. It was very, just um, bizarre. And so through this kind of multi, um, kind of multi-webbed uh, approach with Facebook and integrating my blog into Facebook, it just started to, um, for at least by my my standard, blow up quite a bit. Um, and uh, and so blogging really became this outlet and. In the process of all this, I've really discovered um, my, or I'm starting to at least, my own writing voice and really just passionate about writing and thinking and getting stuff out there. So um, I have since um, changed the name and the look of my blog, and um, I'm now at thepangeablog.com. The big idea behind that is um, Pangea, you know, is this awesome image that we have from, you know, biology of the continents all being smashed together. And there's not this like great divide. And, um, for me, that's a metaphor for the kingdom. Uh, you know, um, that, uh, we're, we're part of a kingdom that, that isn't just about our, um, plot, you know, I'm not an an American Christian. I'm a Christian who lives in America. And, um, and so really the Pangea idea is just about saying that uh, the kingdom of God is global and its it transcends anything that um, ideologies and nationalities and, um, you know, political views and all of those kinds of things for something much more um, important. So awesome. that's that's the story, I guess. <laughs>
0: cool. And, and on there, you know, you, you tackle a lot of issues that are, of course, you, some would say, our Anabaptist concerns, peace and and uh, reconciliation issues like that. Are you? So it sounds like you're then fairly new to the Anabaptist world.
1: <laughs> That's a great, great question. Um, yes and no. Um, I grew up Mennonite. Um, mm. I am ethnically. Um, I can trace my roots back to the colony in Prussia where all the Mennonite brethren lived and migrated from in the late 1800s. My great grandpa came over as a seven year old, you know, fled persecution, um, from the empire, yada, yada, yada. I mean, all of that. So on on both sides of my family tree, um, can be traced to that movement. Um, so, you know, it, it, I don't know that I have a nationality per se, but if I was going to talk about nationality, I almost have to just say I'm Mennonite brethren because that's kind of the closest thing I have. Um, And so, um, you know, this is a rich tradition um, that I've been connected to my whole life. Um, You know, my my family is huge. My grandpa had 17 brothers and sisters. you know, and uh, so so we just really are this kind of cultural people that have moved from persecution to affluence in a lot of ways, and have had, I think, a problem bridging that gap. Um, and so, um, I grew up Mennonite brethren, but not Anabaptist, in the sense that anything Anabaptist besides food and culture were almost um, kind of the jokes. Um, so, um, you know, I think a younger movement of us Anabaptist uh, Mennonite brethren, especially, um, is kind of emerging. And um, so, I discovered Anabaptism as a college, uh, actually in seminary, to be honest with you. And it was through reading, oddly enough. Um, guys like Brian McLaren, generous
0: generous Uh orthodoxy maybe or
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. Generous orthodoxy, huge influence. Um, you know, and finally I think what kind of sealed the deal was when Shane Claiborne came to Fresno and gave his kind of seminar version of Jesus for president a few years ago. And I was already starting to move that direction. But man, when he, he just kind of shared that vision, I was like, you know what, I need to just let go of all my um, reservation and, you know, I, I'm part of something rich and um, I, I need to dive into this. And and so for the last, I don't know, two and a half years or so, I've really embraced that and that's really come through in my blog, I think, mm-hmm. quite a
0: bit. So What about you? personally, have you noticed changing since you've really fully embraced that uh, tradition? Like, is there, even in your interactions on a personal level, do you notice you you maybe seek more of a peaceful, reconciliory, reconciliatory approach or anything like that?
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, um, you know, I've always kind of been in... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so um, wrong, but I've always been kind of a nice guy, I guess. Um, I, that sounds stupid but in the sense that like I, I've not been the guy who who goes out and wants to pick fights I'm not, I'm not necessarily a hothead at least I don't think so. Um, and so that's always kind of been part of my personality I suppose but but where it has changed is you know, It leads to some interesting conversations with uh, my wife, for instance, you know, um, talking about what does this mean for our family? Like, what does this mean that um, I, you know, in my own idealism, if I actually followed through what my theology is telling me, if we were attacked, that I wouldn't fight, you know, what does that mean? Um, Now, (laughs) <laughs> the the tension there is would I fight? I, I, I don't know. And I, I mean, you don't know until it happens. Right. Um, but, but those kind of questions are definitely things I'm trying to process and work out. And to be honest, um, yeah, it definitely is changing the marital dynamic and, and, and my wife totally supports it. Um, but wants to understand and wants to come along with me for that journey. Um, and so I would say that, you know, one thing that I would say as well is um, in, in the Mennonite world, you know, what's interesting is a lot of these old time pacifists are the same ones who always want to get like consensus in church discussion. Right. Like like we can't change the color of the carpet until all of us peacefully come to this consensus. There can't be conflict, you know, and, and I'm not that guy. Um, you know, if I've learned anything from my other, you know, my evangelical evangelicalness, <laughs> I've learned that sometimes, you know, leadership demands vision and moving forward. And so, uh, so I, I think there's a both and there. So anyway, I don't know if that answers your question.
0: No, no, that's that's great. You're so then is your is it completely new for your wife? Then is this a completely new uh, world for her, the Anabaptist mm-hmm. Mennonite brethren world?
1: <laughs> no. I mean, she went to uh, Fresno Pacific University, um, okay. and that's a Mennonite Brethren college, okay. university. I mean, very big school, very, you know. Um, so so she grew up, she took a class on the Sermon on the Mount with the mm. Mennonite Brethren guy, where she memorized the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> so, uh, y- you know, like, she, it's always been there. And, and she was asking those big kingdom questions even before we were dating. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, towards a full embrace, like, yeah, it, it's fairly new, I think. But she's, you know, I, I think she's convinced too. And, you know, she was there when Shane spoke and she,
0: mm-hmm.
1: she, she reads some of the stuff and she, she, um, her answer to me, you know, cause I've been criticized by a lot of my friends for mm-hmm. various things that I think. And, um, she always tells me, you know, Kurt, the thing is the reason I, I I believe kind of the direction you're going isn't because I blindly just accept what you say, but it actually kind of makes sense. Like, (laughs) you know, and it it actually like seems like that's, you know, based on the Bible, like I, I, I agree. Like it just makes sense. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's incredible the support she has and, um, you know, and, and as long as I don't overbear her, you know, power over her with my theology, <laughs> you know, isn't that odd? You know, you can power over people with pacifist theology. Um, uh, it, it, it's fine. And um, she knows that um, <laughs> her reaction to me saying, I would lay down my life for you is, but I don't want you to die, run away. <laughs> you know, so so it's, it's, it's interesting. But no, she's amazing and um, really supportive. And really has a passion, passion, just, to love people. So,
0: excellent. Uh, so I've been, yeah. I have checked out your, uh, some of your, you have resources available on your, your blog, a couple of free resources. And I was looking at the, uh, small group material. Is that something you want to keep doing, providing some of that kind of stuff? And
1: yeah, yeah, that's, uh, what, a what a thing I didn't see coming, you know, um, I uh, about six months ago, I got an email from one of my readers who just kind of laid out her her heart and kind of what's been going on And a certain blog I'd written really affected her like life story in a real way. It was actually like, really, God, like like this is making that kind of an impact in this lady's life. Like that's totally blindsided me, to be honest with you. And one of those moments where it's just a reminder that this past you know, year or so of very intentional blogging has really become a, a mystery for me. Um, well, in the process, we kind of developed a distant friendship, and she messaged me on Facebook one day and said, Hey, Kurt, I just wanted you to know that I've started a small group of some friends, one of whom's like a Muslim, I'm told, you know, and who's interested in this you know, what she's been talking about from my blog, which I'm like, wow, (laughs) I wish I could find those people too. Like, that's great. Um, and, and she said, we're using your, um, nationalism, your nationalism series, you know, whose kingdom, which Lord, uh, series I did. And, um, we're just taking it article by article and talking about it once a week. And that just got my brain going, what? Like, like it's, like my voice is in their conversation like that's that's something i didn't anticipate coming and and so i just kind of said you know what as i have time which isn't very often maybe i can kind of manipulate some of these things i've been writing into more of a small group format and um you know i can make them free and uh just people can download them and use them and Instead of uh, just being articles, here's some questions and scripture and various things you can check out. So, so I do have one. Um, I honestly I plan to do quite a few of them. It's going to take a bit, but um, I, I'm sure my non series that I recently did will turn into some form of a small group, um, you know, and various other ones as well. So,
0: yeah. Do you, so. So, in a sense, then, do you feel like because you you were coming out of this? evangelical world and you're embracing you know, the fact that there is a post-Christendom. So in a sense, part of what you're writing to is to the world that you're coming out of and uh, maybe building a bridge for people to to step into this new world and not necessarily be afraid of it. In fact, maybe even accept that it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm finding that there are so many disenfranchised, you know, evangelicals who are either burned out on church or at least are, um, you know, asking new questions. And it seems to me that I've been able to kind of tap into those folks' lives a little bit and give them maybe some handles for asking new questions, um, and, and sometimes I push them too far and they tell me, you know, they're like, dude, like, this is too much. I got one of my really faithful readers was like, dude, this pissed me off when I was doing my nonviolent series. And 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 rightfully so, because in a sense, some of the things I write piss me off, too. But that's the point. Like the way of Jesus is hard. It's not this easy way. And. Um, it doesn't always make a rational sense. And so I'm I'm tapping into that stream, I think, and and really just trying to expose some of the baggage from the last 150 years of, you know, fundamentalist theology and um, dispensationalism and some of these things. And I get in trouble for that um, quite a bit. But, um, you know, I, I just really, like, this whole journey for me is about being faithful to the scriptures and, and the more I dive into the scriptures, the more I'm seeing a Jesus that is much different than the one um, that popular evangelicalism has embraced. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, that have you seen that uh, article that came out today on the Huffington Post about? Um, oh, what's it titled? Basically, it's why the title is why evangelicals hate Jesus. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm interested, but no, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you a link or something to it. Here yeah, yeah. Yeah. Please do. <laughs> but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy, but it's yeah. A good one. But yeah, it kind of talks about that a little bit of how there's a, there just seems to be this, uh, just a sense where people embrace Jesus because of what they do for them, as in save you from hell, get you to heaven, those kind of things. But then when it comes to his actual teachings, they just, it's like they turn a deaf ear to it, I guess.
1: Yeah. That's yeah. kind
0: of what the article's about. It's pretty good.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I mean, that's the kind of thing I'm trying to bridge the gap, you know, um, uh, like even with this nonviolence series I just did, you know, um, I tried to create bridges into the practical, you know, I, I talked about two, Um, what ifs, right? I talked about what if Hitler comes back or another Hitler and what if someone attacks your family? And I tried to um, really kind of meet people somewhere in the middle and pull them along and kind of hold their hand through that. And uh, for for some it worked, for others it was still not, um, you know, it still seemed a little too impractical. And, uh, but yeah, those are, I mean, that's a question I think that post uh, the Huffington Post I think that probably confronts me too though you
0: know yeah oh yeah I, I've got yeah, a lot of ways
1: to move <laughs> yep. yeah so
0: yeah um, do you have you ever had anyone who they've commented on your you know they came out angry initially but then through some maybe interaction through emails or whatever you've been able to kind of not necessarily make an ally but at least a more uh, rational conversation partner and it's and, and gone mm-hmm. from there.
1: Yeah, you know, you know what's funny is uh, Shane Hibbs uh, talks about the phenomena of uh, web rage, and you know um, how how the medium of internet is kind of cowardice if uh, you want it to if you want to use it that way, and and some folks honestly don't know how to communicate well through uh, web, um, and 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 at times I've screwed up and said things that sound pretty arrogant or whatever, and so. So I understand, and so when when someone attacks me, with, which has happened with, like, the Rob Bell article, for instance, you know, I've been pretty much called out as, you know, as bad or worse than Rob, you know, and whatever, and, and that's fine, but um, I, I always do my best to kind of say, but did you really hear what I said, you know, and maybe quote myself, or, you know, and and then I say, you know, your tone is, it just comes across, you know, and I'll, and I'll just kind of kind of massage it a little bit. And, um, you know, sometimes it's been incredible. Like I can remember one guy in particular who the first time he ever commented on one of my posts, it uh, sounded very derogatory. And I called him out on it. And he honestly was like confronted and felt sorry. And ever since has been very like, you know, he'll disagree with me quite a bit. You know, that's cool, but very cordial and very kind. And um, and so, yeah, I, I see that quite a bit um, because, I you know, I, I don't think um, I don't think the internet's very useful if it becomes a yelling match. Um, and so, that's something I I really try to really have integrity with. And you know, by God's grace, most of the time it works out. So
0: sure. Have you ever found that maybe someone who disagreed with you but they started uh rationally in a good conversation and and just talked with you have you ever not necessarily changed your mind but come to the point where like you know what maybe i need to rethink this just a little bit or anything like that (laughs) yeah dude
1: uh so i told you about my three early uh conversation partners um one of those is a guy named Mason. Um, he's at newwaysforward.blogspot.com. Um, great, great blogger. Uh, he actually attended Mars Hill um, Rob's church um, for quite a while. Now I think he's at a small, smaller church outside of Grand Rapids. But um, he was the guy who really pushed me on the nonviolence stuff, kind of during that whole transition. Um, he wrote a series of articles, um, on, like going through every... You know the Gospels, the letters of Paul, the past, you know the the um the Catholic letters, whatever they're called, and Revelation, and um and honestly, at that point, I was still struggling with reconciling all of those things. But I've I've even told him like it's to his credit, like he had a big influence on on that conversation as we engaged. Um, and, uh, so that, that's probably a very clear example of, yeah, I, I come into blogging, um, with open hands and I think even in my profile, I say, you know what, I'm not convinced of everything I write. Um, I'm, I'm on a journey and, uh, am, am open to conversation. So.
0: Cool. Do you now, so now that you're thinking about, uh, or not thinking about, I mean, you are going to plant a church in Seattle. Let me just ask you away from the, individual personal side now as a church then how do you think a church embodies or should embody kind of that uh, nonviolent and uh, peace making uh, ideal and then also how can they be proactive in that
1: yeah um, you know I I don't have a lot of good answers I don't think yet um, so I'm still really thinking about is, What does active peacemaking in the 21st century actually look like? Um, I I, I do think there's things that I will really emphasize in in my teaching. You know, um, I think it all starts with the violence within. um, And if if as a community, um, we, you know, as people, as part of this community, have violence within our hearts, um, that's going to come out even if you don't, think it will. Um, And that's something I've been really wrestling with. Um, So so that's maybe a a foundational piece to say that, um, you know, I I think the active peacemaking ethos will hopefully become part of what we do. And and, and I think that really means like we stand up for victims in in Darfur and we we raise awareness and, and we also um, raise awareness, you know, maybe through the internet, like I, I'm doing. Um, but, but really just saying, where are the causes where God's shalom is being neglected? And how can we as a community have a small part in saying that peace can um, overcome that? And so, you know, a lot of that's going to be very contextual, I'm sure, to Seattle. But, but I, think, I think it's going to be very cause-driven very much um, gonna arise out of the imagination of the people that um, join our community. so um, I'm actually excited to see what it looks like because you know I haven't really seen it on the ground in action as much as um, I think is possible so
0: yeah absolutely and and I kind of asked that because you know and it just it, the climate you know, the political climate alone you know in, mm-hmm. in the in the country, uh, where the church needs to—not needs to, but should—well, I guess needs to take a, some <laughs> kind of active role in building peace, you know, rather than because it, it seems like it's just so easy for a church and the church at large to be co-opted into one side or the other, and right. you know, like like Tea Party movement or whatever, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. It may be. And uh, yeah, and I think it's just important that we we crucially think about, you know, what role does the church actually play in this kind of atmosphere? I guess. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's happening in in my denomination It's happening at the, in the larger, you know, evangelical community, um, in the larger just church in America, um, false polarities are really winning. And, um, you know, that's something that, uh, really we need to keep deconstructing and exposing as, um, you know, powers and principalities, um, um, but but the problem, unfortunately, is is that there you know we're in this they keep it's such a cliche but we are in some kind of a cultural shift postmodernism, whatever you want to call it um, and and it seems that there is a camp of folks that are retreating to philosophical um, you know comforts and are applying those to gospel type issues and. Um, these polarities are going to persist until um, until we, uh, we're going to keep talking past each other until we have some kind of level playing field um, worldview-wise and philosophically that we can meet in the middle somewhere. And so, um, yeah, I'm quite concerned about that myself, to mm. be honest
0: with you. Yep, absolutely. So are you, when you wrap up your MDiv and then you go on to uh, plant a church, are you you done with the academic world or is there a potential for <laughs> for more?
1: Oh, man, that's a loaded question. Um, dude, I, I love the academic world. Um, I, at one point before I, I had thought about planting a church, I mean, I had thought about applying at some Ivy League, um, you know, divinity school and doing like a THM. Um, you know, I, I thought about doing various other things. Um, and, and now I'm finding a church and, and it's a reminder that, you know, I was 16 and had a pretty, um, tangible kind of experience with God where I got called into ministry. And it's, it's just a new reminder that that's what I'm called to is ministry and, um, academics, as long as they help fund and fuel that ministry are extremely helpful and extremely important for me um and so you know down the road I could see myself you know I've thrown out the idea maybe I'll do a master's in ancient history and I can kind of go that route and kind of pair up my theology with the you know the Alexander to Constantine kind of world you know Um, so, so I've thought about various things. Um, PhD is something I've thought about, you know, but but I have no definitive plans. And I'm just kind of saying, you know what, God? Uh, church church planting is where you have me, and I'm so stoked about that. Um, you show me what's next, um, but not too quickly, because i got to do the church plant first. So, um,
0: yeah. Well, hey, man. Hey, I appreciate you uh, sh- uh, sharing some time with me to have a conversation. Uh, can you... Plug your blog a little bit and anything else that people might follow you on?
1: Um, Yeah, yeah. You know, my blog is thepangeablog.com. Uh, Pangea spelled P A N G E A. And uh, you can hang out there. Um, would love it if any of your listeners, um, there's an email sk- subscription option. That's the best way to really just stay connected. Um, I'm on Twitter, um, Twitter twitter.com slash Kurt Willems, K-U-R-T-I-S, or I I just spelled Curtis. Um, Sorry, I'm sick. I have an an excuse. Um, It's Kurt with a K, K K-U-R-T, Willems, um, W-I-L-L-E-M-S, not Williams, like uh, English people. And the same name goes for um, Facebook as well, so would love to hang out and uh, yeah, man. It's been great talking with you, Cody. And I would just wish blessings on you and your ministry, dude.
0: Hey, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, have a great day. We'll see ya. Bye. All right. Bye.
1: The captain of the football team. He's got the prom queen,
0: but he's got no self-esteem. He hides beneath the sheets while he cries himself to sleep. That prom queen's got her own concerns. Yeah, the bottle's dry, but still she never learns, and so she fills it up again. And she drinks to broken men. She's overboard surrendered and ignored so this is how it feels to lose the war I hey, hope you enjoyed that interview once again my next guest in two weeks will be gene anderson we're going to be talking about his journey of, uh, with his diagnosis of bipolar disorder. I think you're gonna. You know, it's, it's been one of my favorite interviews by far with, with Gene, and and I think you're gonna get a lot out of uh, hearing his story and hearing his journey, and uh, and hearing from the from the life of someone who's uh, who has been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Because you know what? Part of becoming who we are isn't just all rosy, optimistic, good stuff sometimes the journey includes learning how to heal and and work with troubled troubled times like being diagnosed with bipolar for example so stick around for that i think you'll get a lot of wisdom from from gene and um he, he did a great job on our review look forward to sharing that with you so this again just want to encourage you to stay in touch contact us uh, at uh, on twitter at we are becoming or through our email we are becoming at gmail.com or give us a call on Skype, cody.stoffer. Appreciate you listening in and just remember life is change, growth is optional. Choose wisely. Please remember me when I'm gone. Smile. When you think about me singing you this song And I will look above the clouds into The great mysterious blue And think about you singing along Now when I'm looking at you All I see is a melody of rain in triple A form, sung so soft And so it seems, even if I lose The moment or the tune I'll think about you Singing to me La, 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 la La, 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 la La, la la remember me